Chapter 20 Becoming a Generational Messenger It is the righteous man who lives for the next generation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer My friend Crawford Loritz has a vision for building into the lives of younger men who are leaders. In 2003, Crawford invited me and nine other men to join 40 younger men in a two-day conference on mentoring. At the end of the event, all 10 of us older men had four younger men that we agreed to mentor one-on-one for the next 12 months. We all signed a written agreement and began to meet either in person or over the phone on a monthly basis. Now, over a decade later, I'm still meeting with two of these men who are now in their 30s. We talk about loving our wives and children, about schedules, priorities, pace, and just about every gritty issue a man faces. It's confidential, it's safe, and I think it's encouraging to these young men. We've been fishing and duck hunting together. They talk, and I listen. They ask, and I try to answer. Sometimes I ask them questions. On other occasions, I speak into their lives. We've read and discussed books and scripture. Spending time with these young men and building a friendship with them has been one of the greatest privileges of my life. The experience has resulted in a conviction that life is about how we can serve and equip the next generation. God designed men to be generational messengers, sending messages of character, values, and vision through other men to a time beyond our horizon. We were made to outlive ourselves, generationally speaking, by mentoring younger men. This pattern is modeled in the Apostle Paul's relationship with a young man named Timothy. Near the end of Paul's life, he challenged Timothy with a compelling vision for being a viral spiritual multiplier, a mentor. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Note that Paul spoke of influencing multiple generations. He mentored Timothy, who passed on what he learned to faithful men, who would then teach others also, a relay race of at least four generations. We don't know what happened to Timothy's father, but we do know that Timothy needed an older man in his life. Mentors are, in many ways, father figures to the young men they train. In fact, I'm seeing this kind of relationship beautifully played out in the life of my friend Bill. Bill has a teenage son, and his son has a friend whose father died nearly two years ago. Bill is a great dad and is quite involved in his son's life. And he now includes this other young man, his son's friend, in many of their father-son activities. The three of them do stuff together. And once a week, they go to breakfast where they read through Proverbs and talk about what they're learning. I love what Bill and his son are doing for this young man. 
And you might be interested to know that Bill is simply passing on some of what he received when he was a young man. Bill said, I had a father who reached out to me when I was fatherless. Mr. Reed took me and his son Mike, my best friend, fishing and on trips. I was at their house more than mine. He even paid for a bike my mother gave me. I found out later that he had paid for it. This past summer, the Reeds celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary with a party of family and friends. I had the privilege of being introduced as their second son. In a culture where 40% of children are being born to single-parent moms, do not underestimate the power of an older man in a young man's life. There's something in the chest of every man that draws him to be a mentor. It's the DNA of true manhood, and these genetics run throughout Scripture. Young men seeking out gray-haired men and valuing their wisdom. Elders commissioned to spread life lessons on to the next generation. In whatever way you choose to follow this biblical pattern, there are three qualities that describe how a mentor can maximize his influence. First, a mentor is available. A number of years ago, I was making a presentation over lunch to Don Sodequist, the former chief operating officer of Walmart. I was briskly moving through my charts and graphs to arrive at a part where I was most excited about. It was a slide that showed how family life had grown more than 600% in 10 years. All of a sudden, it struck me who I was talking to. And I began to chuckle. Surprised, Don asked me, why are you laughing? I smiled and replied, you know, Don, it just hit me that I'm talking to you about this huge growth of this little nonprofit organization. As a COO, Don had overseen growth from zero to over $200 billion at Walmart. Don laughed with me and listened as I finished the presentation. He was very gracious as he shared some stories about his leadership journey and experiences. In our conversation, he happened to mention that one of his strengths was leading with vision. The meeting went so well that at the end of my presentation, I asked if Don would spend a day with me, mentoring me on the things he'd learned about vision. He said yes. Six months later, I drove back to his office in northwest Arkansas with a couple dozen questions and a recorder. The lessons and wisdom he shared were priceless. But it wasn't just what he said that was important. What impressed me most was that he gave me his time. You're likely very busy, but being available to a younger man who wants to be mentored may be one of the most strategic investments you'll ever make. You may be used by God to save a man's job, his marriage, his family, or even his life. Secondly, a mentor is purposeful. As a mentor, you're taking a young man to a place he wouldn't go by himself. A mentor knows what a younger man needs and sharpens him by speaking the truth to him. Recently, I began mentoring Jim and asked him to tell me his life story. His 90-minute synopsis was filled with painful stories of how his father had abandoned him, how he'd been abused by an older man as a teenager, 
and the impact of these circumstances on his life as a husband and father. At the end of the conversation, I told Jim I was going to be sending him a book I'd written, and I wanted him to begin reading it at his own pace. I purposefully didn't tell him anything about the book. When Jim opened the package a week later and found my book, The Best Gift You Can Ever Give Your Parents, Jim cursed. But he started reading, and he is processing what it means to honor his father. Although this is a new mentoring relationship for me, I am confident that Jim is about to embrace the forgotten commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one of the Ten Commandments. I also believe that he will one day be able to write a tribute to his dad and read it to him. A mentor purposefully builds life's lessons into those he mentors. As you consider being a mentor, think through what makes life work for you at work, at home, and in your relationship with Christ. What have you learned about the following issues? Handling pressure and balancing the pace of life. Working with people. Building and keeping friendships with other men. Investing in your marriage. Resolving conflict. Facing unexpected crisis or tragedy. Managing your finances. Developing a real relationship with God. Reading, understanding, and applying the Scriptures. What have you learned about raising your children? And what are life's lessons on developing the type of character needed to succeed at work? And finally, growing through failure. What have you learned about that? And don't forget to ask yourself, what is the most courageous thing I've ever done in my life? In fact, you may want to ask the young man you're mentoring the same question. In thinking about these issues, you'll likely realize that you may have more to share than you thought. Third, a mentor is authentic. Effective mentors are gritty and real. On this step, there's no room for pretenders, egomaniacs, or wimps. Only real men stand on the mentoring step. A number of years ago, I spent a day getting advice from a man who had far more leadership experience than I had. One of the questions I asked him was about his darkest days as a leader. What were they, and how did he handle them? What I heard were two stories of betrayal and disappointment. I appreciated his transparency as he described moments of discouragement, doubt, and even despair. He didn't airbrush the story at all. He painted the picture realistically, blemishes and all. In all the years that have followed, I've faced a few of those moments myself. Because this leader was willing to be authentic, I've reflected often on how he handled a rough situation. And as a result, I've pressed on. And I've passed on some of what I've learned in those valleys to the men that I mentor. A mentor's willingness to strip away the veneer and allow a younger man to smell the stench of raw humanity when things didn't work out may be the greatest life lesson he has to share. 
Some of you who read these words will decide to courageously step up and ask God to guide you to a young man to mentor. You may find such a person in your place of work, in your church, your neighborhood, community, or around a hobby or a sport you share with other men. It could be a mentoring relationship established over the Internet through a safe and secure online service, such as Family Life's e-mentoring program. It could mean that you could join your wife in mentoring a young couple as they begin their marriage. Or you may start hosting a small group study, such as a Home Builders Couple series, with several younger couples. Selecting a person to mentor may be as simple as saying yes to a request, or it may likely mean that you as a man develop a spiritual receptivity to those God brings your way. As I look to the future, I expect and I pray that I'll have four to six men I'll be mentoring for the rest of my life. How about you? I live in the country, and for a number of years, I've jogged on roads near my home for exercise. I'm embarrassed to say that I jogged by Lee and the shack he lived in for a decade before I began to sense that I should offer to help him. One day, I introduced myself to Lee, who was 29 years old and was paralyzed from the waist down, the result of a childhood asthma attack and an adverse reaction to a drug. His father deserted him, and when Lee was 10, declared to Lee, You are damaged goods. For years, Lee and his mom barely scraped by, living off welfare checks until his cousin helped Lee buy a riding lawnmower. That became Lee's only mode of transportation and his only ability to make additional money by mowing nearby lawns. It became very clear that Lee had a lot more courage than most men. He could have easily been a victim and given up. I discovered that Lee had graduated from high school with a grade point average of 3.3, and that shortly after his mom's death, he had placed his faith in Christ as his Savior and Lord. I also discovered that he tithed from his monthly welfare and disability checks from the state, which combined were a mere $550 a month. With his mom's recent death, things were very tight. He wondered how he would survive. Lee had never been employed. I asked him if he wanted a job, and I'll never forget his response. He said, You know, I'd like someone else to get that welfare money, someone who really needs it. So I set Lee up with an old computer and a typing manual and told him to call me when he was typing 40 words per minute. He did, and then he came to work for Family Life. There's so much more to Lee's story. How he learned to drive, I'm telling you that's another story. How he learned to buy and then wreck a truck. How he began going to college. How he tore down the shack and replaced it with a nice mobile home. He went on to meet the governor of Arkansas, who then introduced him to the President of the United States of America. Lee needed a man to believe in him, a man who would mentor him. In my professional career, I've had many privileges, but watching Lee take some of the most courageous steps I've ever seen a man take remains one of the greatest privileges of my life. 
We all want to be remembered, to leave a legacy, to make a difference. If your family has nearly grown and you're on the manhood step looking upward, then you are in your prime time years. I believe your best years are yet ahead. You may be asking, how can I best leverage the experience, gifts, and talents in this next season of my life? Well, I have something I'd like you to consider. Why don't you ask God to give you 2020 generational vision and invest your life in the next generation of men? As a mentor, you can make a difference in another man's life that can change his whole world. As someone once told me, to the world, you may just be somebody. But to somebody, you may just be the world. Coming up next, the fifth step, patriarch.